I just feel like that may be a bit too risque. And welcome to the Downerfront Podcast, the official podcast of downerfrontpodcast.com. My name is Warren and I will be your host this evening and tonight we are going to give you a full review of Velvet Buzzsaw, one of the newest films on Netflix right now, kind of horror genre. What we do here on the Downfront Podcast is that we review movies, TV shows, video games, all a bunch of everything while having our favorite beverage, usually alcoholic or not, you never know. And just kind of chat about some stuff. So we're going to do a bit of a round table, uh, one of those tables that spins. And I want to toss it over to the mouth of the South, Mr. Brylan. Brylan, what's going on, man? What you sipping on tonight? And what else have you been watching? Hello. Good evening, everybody. Uh, I am doing well tonight. Uh, what I'm sipping on right now is I use the Mocha Very Scientific uh, Choose a Wine by its label test. And uh, I picked out this uh, California red blend called Intrinsic. There's the label right there. You can't see it because we're an audio podcast, but the neat thing about this uh, winery is they actually uh, partner with a street artist named Zymer to create this label. So you see how very decorative and modern that is. Mm -hmm. So it looks pretty cool. But it's a blend of 51% Malbec and 49% Cabernet Franc. And it actually tastes really good. I'm liking it so far. Nice. Notes of wine. Ooh. <laughs> heavy notes. That's yes. Uh, what I've been watching recently, um, it's been tough for me to watch some stuff. Uh, but uh, I have started watching the new season of The Grand Tour. I'm loving it as always. And then their second and third uh, episodes, they went to Colombia, to Cartagena specifically. And now I think I know where I want to go on my next vacation because that city <laughs> looks beautiful. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's always good to see those guys uh, showcase like new cars, but also talk about like car love and just appreciation of uh, cars in general. I always appreciate, but I also like their funny stint they add to everything. And that is going on right now, and it's on Amazon Prime. Nice. I know uh, Guillermo was talking about that show. I've never seen it, but. I heard it's pretty good. So yep. it's always great to see your face and it's always great to kind of have you. I'm going to toss it over to my best friend. He's been traveling a lot, but we still miss him dearly. Mr. Mocha, what's going on, man? What you sipping on tonight and what else have you been watching? What is up, everybody? Your boy is back finally after ravenous demand from our audience member. Um, I'm back in town. Really excited to be back in the show. Um, I have been, I've been traveling, as you mentioned, I just took a little road trip from Seattle to Denver. And while on that tour, I was exposed to a lot of the great culture of the mountains and plains of the United States. And most importantly, one of our great national animals, the bison. 
<laughs> and so tonight, I made a, my, a commitment to myself for 2019. I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm gonna cut back on the beer. I'm gonna be a bourbon boy from now on. And tonight's bourbon is Buffalo Trace. Uh, as you can see, it is a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey brewed with buffalo. And I don't really know anything about bourbon yet. Like I mentioned, this is like my onset into being a bourbon boy. So as far as I'm aware, it's really good. Um, but I could be wrong. I don't know yet. I don't have the, uh, the the knowledge base. But we'll see with future bourbons how that goes. As for what I've been watching, it's been really hard to watch some stuff, watch shows while I've been on the road. But I did recently finish up an anime that I had started, which was new to Netflix called, hmm, what was it called? Sirius the Jaeger. And this was a like a 12 episode anime uh, produced by Netflix that was basically about a group of multinational vampire hunters. So like there was one guy from Ireland, one guy from England, one person from Spain, et cetera, et cetera. And the show just follows this group as they track down uh, these vampires. It has a story to it, but the story was actually super cliche and there was nothing in it that was really new or unique. But it was really well animated and pretty well voiced. So I enjoyed the experience well enough. Not something to go rushing out of your seat to watch if you're an anime fan. But if you've got time to kill and just want something to play in the background, Sirius Jaeger is not a bad choice. Yeah, I mean, I know the animation itself, the animation quality now goes a long way. Um, there's a lot of shows out there that have a really good like storyline, but the animation is so poor that it's kind of tough to get into it. So I think that's pretty cool that at least animated uh, and that animation quality is uh, that high for you. Right, at least. Yeah, I mean, Netflix is making such a big push into uh, like all different sorts of genres, but especially anime. So one of the nice things is that these production companies get fed a bunch of money by Netflix. And so when they come out with these 8 to 12 episode long seasons, they're usually pretty well animated if they're a Netflix original. So that's one thing to be grateful for. Nice. Well, as always, it's great to uh, have you back on. Uh, we love having your input and uh, excited for your thoughts for this movie. I'm going to toss it over to the slasher himself. This man is great. Mr. Blewett, what's going on, man? What you been uh, sipping on tonight? And uh, where where were you these last few days? Where'd you go? I went down south to Atlanta. <laughs> That's racist. <laughs> what? No, it's not. Uh, it's factual. <laughs> What's racist, which the audience can't see, is that Blewett is in blackface right now. <laughs> hey, come on. Hey, I got to run for Senate later. Or governor. Governor of Virginia. You'll you know what? Good. You can be any You'll of them. You'll still get elected, man. It's okay. Uh, uh, how's it going, guys? Uh, yeah, I uh, weirdly enough, I watch stuff because I wasn't at home and didn't have my usual toys of distraction. Um I was down in uh, Atlanta for the Superb Owl, I believe it's called. Uh, where I got to not see Sweet Victory, uh, and instead I got to see the back of uh, Adam Levine's. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't. I was at the Super Bowl, is what I'm trying to say. But I was. I was behind the halftime show. So when uh, Adam Levine was blasting his nips, uh, yeah, I didn't see any of that. And you know, there's a lot of overweight moms out there who would have killed to see the back of Adam Levine's greasy body. <laughs> yeah, and I am one of them. Um, and so, but I, it's funny cause I watched the fire festival documentary, which weirdly enough, uh, I watched, uh, or I was keeping tabs on it when it was happening just because like blink 182 was involved and I kind of just follow everything that they do for all of everything. Um, and, uh, whenever their name is attached to a project, I kind of pay attention. So it was kind of interesting to see the behind the scenes and the actual footage of something that I was following a year ago. 
Um, need to see the Hulu piece. Apparently, to really understand it, you got to see both of them. Um, tonight, though, I'm I'm classing it up because uh, I had myself a long weekend with a lot of Southern food, uh, and uh, I'm drinking water because my liver and kidneys and stomach and all that <laughs> stuff need a break. That's smart. Sounds I mean, like do you count? Did you right? Yeah. Do you count uh, Chick Fil A being a Southern food? Uh, I, I'm conflicted on Chick-fil-A. It's amazing, but I don't know if it's the best representation the South wants to offer as like a, <laughs> a token to everyone else. I mean, is anything of that is better than Florida and the South definitely do not want to be represented by anything in Florida. So there you go. Not even Publix? We'll take a public sponsorship. Is, is that, is that Florida or is that, man, I love mm-hmm. Publix too. I thought Publix was Georgia, but I don't I know. I thought Publix was Florida. Georgia too, but we want to be re- represented by Win Dixie. That sounds racist. Business? Probably no, <laughs> no. That's a, <laughs> that's a, <laughs> that is a legit uh, grocery store. I'm sure you knew that. Yeah. Well, uh, Shredder, it's always great to have you, and great to see your beautiful, beautiful face. My name is Warren. Sadly, I don't have a nickname, but I am currently sipping on some Snapple peach tea and vodka. Uh, it's quite, quite delicious. Nothing, nothing crazy. Uh, and I've been watching a bunch of stuff as always, but the two things I do want to focus on was Escape for Denimora. Have you guys heard of the show? Have you seen anything about it? I've heard of it. Uh, I haven't watched it. I think you'll def. I think all of you will definitely kind of enjoy the show. I think we uh, probably kind of caught wind of it with watching it with Emma for when uh, Courtney. No, not Courtney Cox. Patricia Arquette. There we go. When Patricia Arquette, I think she won a Golden Globe for it. So the show's absolutely, like, absolutely great. I mean, Benicio Del Toro's in it. Paul Dano's in it. And uh, it's only seven episodes. So it's like a mini series. So if you get a chance to kind of watch it, definitely um, check in, check that out. And I've also been watching True Detective. I know Brylin has been watching it. I know a bunch of people kind of talk about it. I'm not going to give any spoilers, of course, because I definitely want to make sure we have a chance to discuss that on this show. But I am definitely saying that is much better than season two. So even if you if season two kind of turned you off entirely, like it don't even worry about it. Just completely forget about it. Brush off, watch episode one of season three, and I think you'll definitely kind of at least enjoy where they're going with it. And then I went back and watched episode one of season two, and I was very confused of what was happening. So um, definitely go check that out. True Detectives on HBO. Uh, Escape for Danamora, I think that may be Showtime, but I'm actually not sure where that show is. We've been watching it on demand, um, so I'm not sure. So definitely pretty cool. So as we uh, normally would do, uh, one of my favorite sort of segments of this section, we're going to uh, give some dedication, some shout outs and send a sip. So Mr. Mouth of the South, who are you dedicating your sip to tonight? I'm going to raise my glass and send a sip out to Respawn Entertainment. Uh, they are a video game company that actually they were the original ones that developed uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. But also, uh, they did something pretty neat uh, this past week on Monday. They announced that they were uh, announcing a video, new video game on that day, but also the same day they actually launched it, launched it for free, which is uh, called Apex Legends, which is a new Battle Royale game, but it's actually got a nice mix of elements from like Overwatch, but also um, 
Fortnite and PUBG all mixed together. So it feels really good. Uh, they also make the Titanfall game, which has probably some of the best traversal and control to a first-person shooter. So it definitely translates really well into this new game they have. And I'm enjoying the hell of it. So thank you, Respawn, for the wonderful surprise that was absolutely free. So thank you. Hey, that's great. I really haven't heard, I haven't seen a lot of companies do that. Uh, what uh, platform are you planning on? I'm playing on PC, but it's also on PlayStation 4 and Xbox. Nice. Uh, kudos and shout outs to you, Respawn Entertainment. Mocha, who are you dedicating your delicious sip to tonight? I'm sending a nice savory sip to Ariel from the Wingcoop Brewery in Denver, Colorado. Uh, so I spent the last couple of days in Denver and I went over to that brewery and she was the manager there and was really awesome with her customer service. I did a beer tasting and she was like super like knowledgeable and made sure that I got everything I wanted to try and even introduced me to the new stout that they have there, which is a Rocky Mountain oyster stout. Uh, <laughs> yep. I think I don't know if everyone here in this room knows what that means. I've had it. But uh, great divide, right? <laughs> Yeah. No. Uh, no, not Great Divide. This was at Wincoop, actually. Oh, okay. Not too far from Great Divide. I had Great Divide. No, they did yeah. not do that. So for those of you listening who don't know, a Rocky Mountain oyster is actually just a testicle of a bull. And this particular uh, stout was brewed with bull testicles. And in fact, the description guaranteed three balls a barrel. Um, but that being said, I tried <laughs> it. And let me tell you, the initial taste was actually a solid stout. But man, that aftertaste was foul. <laughs> it it tasted like like what I can only imagine it was. Um, but even so, shout out to Ariel. She was great. I now have a story coming out of that, and I can say that I have officially drank balls. Uh, so, <laughs> so <the third laughs> joke about balls yeah. I was gonna say we don't, we don't want to impact that here. Uh, I Mocha, it's funny. Uh, so I was out in Colorado a couple of years ago. We were at uh, this brewery called the great divide and they make the same thing i think it was a lager not a stout though um oh, a little so, lighter. yeah so we were all going around <laughs> buy, ball you know flavor. buying like different rounds and stuff and uh you know some buddies were like oh do you want anything i'm like yeah i'll have something and as soon as they left i'm like yeah i'm getting the ball beer yeah and it's, <laughs> like they come back it's like one of those like kind of half smiles like they're trying to like contain it it's just like Dude, you got me the ball beer just give it to me i'll drink it i don't care <laughs> uh you know in lager form wasn't half bad. Was not yeah. half. I don't know. Maybe the grade of balls that they're using to like use. The, be. I, I don't know. You know, maybe they're using one ball per barrel instead of three. But like mm. it, it was kind of like your normal lager with a, a little bit of extra kick on the back end. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to that one bull who was at the end of the line when they were making that <laughs> all those barrels. They're like, well, we got three. You got one left. I guess you're good to go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I am going to be de dedicating my sip to uh, the co only commercial I thought that was actually really good was the Game of Thrones teaser commercial. Did you guys see that with the Bud Knight, apparently, and the jousting? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, spoiler alert. I didn't so see good. it. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, I think I it was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. You didn't. Well, I mean, whatever. It you doesn't matter. It, was, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Keep it doesn't on matter. You, YouTube it. Uh, it was absolutely hilarious because they basically redid. I'm going to butcher these names, but they basically redid the scene from uh, Game of Thrones when the mountain uh, fought the Viper. 
when he crushed his uh, eyes in with his sockets, which is hilarious. So they kind of redid that one in the actual uh, commercial. I'll see if we can try to link it in the uh, show notes, but I like died laughing watching that. So uh, shout out to, I'm glad at least some of the Super Bowl commercials are good. Yeah. The only ones but, I saw were the Michael Bubbly one. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> uh, some, uh, some uh, commercials that came out from this comic book uh, company called Marvel. They released. Mm. Some, they had some Super Bowl commercials. Of course, they were. <laughs> I only watched the Captain Marvel one, but my God, am I amped for that movie! And the Endgame one. Honestly, I wish I didn't watch the Captain Marvel one. The Endgame one is awesome. They're they the marketing for Endgame is freaking perfect so far. I know nothing about the movie and love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can do the same thing without watching any of that. Shredder, who are you dedicating your sips to tonight? Does it need to be said? The freaking Patriots. Let's go, Pats. Six Super Bowls. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's get it done. It did get done. Let's get another one. This is day two of the next season. We're already behind schedule. The Bills had like I would do. the Bills had like four months to prepare for twenty the twenty nineteen <laughs> series season. Super super excited. <laughs> I have been strategically avoiding all the group chats that are filled with my Boston friends over the past few days, <laughs> and yet I've been cornered. I blew it in both voice and face to Destiny hear about Tom Brady's still victory. Arrives. Yeah. Blew it, uh, what are Tom Brady's lips like? Uh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All those mouth kisses, bro. My goodness. For an extra second or two. <laughs> <laughs> it's still so creepy. Like, it's just so creepy. I don't get it. He Maybe does. He does. Some stuff. way of greeting someone hello. I don't know. No, that was a goodbye kiss. Oh, you need to see his hello kiss. <laughs> oh, I know his hello kiss. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. We are going to be talking about Velvet Buzzsaw, and we have hit our spoiler section. So if you have not seen Velvet Buzzsaw, you know, it's less than two hours of movies on Netflix. I think it's pretty entertaining, at least for right now. It's a bit of a dry season for movies up until I think maybe this weekend or next. Um, definitely go check it out. It's on Netflix. should be a fairly kind of easy watch. Um, so with that, we'll take a break, and we'll see you soon for a full spoiler edition. That's the sound of a buzzsaw. back and we are the down in front podcast you have entered our spoiler section so if you have not seen velvet buzzsaw we will be talking about spoilers we will be ruining the movie so definitely go check it out go to netflix check it out and then come on back and pick up where you left off we pick it up different sections so here we're going to talk about the actings and characters and then we're going to move over to talking about the plot and the story and give you a bit of a kind of conclusion um so i'm actually going to go and toss it on over to brylan says brylan talk to me about the acting and characters of velvet buzzsaw 
Yeah, so um, just trying to figure out how I want to talk about this movie. <laughs> um, I would say to start off, uh, talk about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, his, I mean, it's definitely a different uh, role than I've seen Gyllenhaal in before. Uh, he's not playing like a like a traditional love interest or anything like that. Um, but he does a very good Crispin Glover impersonation in this character, like even to the same haircut as Crispin Glover. And uh, his character, Morph Vandewalt, amazing name for that character. Oh my gosh. Um, he's, I guess he's kind of the, the, the audience uh, surrogate for just like journeying through this crazy world. Um, because he gets the most screen time, but also he's the one that makes the most sense as an art critic that uh, can make or break anybody's show with just uh, writing about the words. Uh, but also we find times where his motivations and everything just don't make sense at all. Like, why does he want to write a book about this uh, dead artist paintings that he found and unveil the history? Uh, it, it just um, is very empty and just shallow when it comes to his character and a lot of characters. Uh, in this movie. So I thought he did a solid job with what was given, but it wasn't really much he had to go off of. I would say uh, just one other character that I thought kind of stood out was Natalia Dyer. She played this like very precocious young uh, office assistant that uh, is kind of like par for the course for the type of character she plays. Uh, and I just thought it was a uh, very amusing, like from time to time, just some nice situational comedy that the next person that hires her is the next person to die. So it could have been neat if they actually like kind of tied it in, if she had something to do with the, uh, dead artist paintings, but, uh, it, it, it was still just, uh, a nice little chuckle to see like she gets hired and then the next day her boss dies and she has to deal with that. So that was kind of amusing. I thought it was kind of weird. I felt like they could have given her more to do. Um, at least from the, you know, the only other thing I've seen her in is stranger things. And I think we talked yeah. about that for a little bit and she at least can show some acting chops. This was as if you are literally taking a role that you're not really doing anything in it. I guess just kind of filling out her resume, but um, it's kind of a bummer. It felt like she was kind of a waste, uh, especially they had so many good actor and actresses in this movie. Uh, they didn't really well, give her too much to do. I would say that she wasn't a waste because the role of her character in the film was to be a easy to recognize foil for all of the shittiness and uh, shallowness of the art community that was around her. You know, she was from middle America and just arrived in L.A. to, like, follow her dreams. And her innocence gets trampled on repeatedly throughout the movie. So I think the fact that she was kind of to the side was just to emphasize the fact that you have to be cutthroat and you have to not care about anybody else in order to do anything worthwhile in this town. Yeah, I mean, she actually has an arc, uh, an arc, you know, where she starts off as, yeah. like, the young hopeful, goes through the whole cutthroat. And the, the movie ends with her leaving the city. You know, the city beat it out of her. Mm. She tries to be bad, too, like in the middle. Like, she tries. Barely works for her. selling secrets and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, most of the other characters don't live long enough to, like, change. (laughs) You know, they they mostly die die before they can atone for their sins. Yeah. Um, The only other character I wanted to uh, mention about anything was John Malkovich. It was good to see him in another movie, but also um, it was kind of weird. It seemed like it was kind of 
uh, persuaded onto the set, and they were actually uh, did this movie as an intervention for John Malkovich <laughs> for him to go get seek care because he just looked disheveled and bored the whole time. And he has just like this one scene with Rene Russo, and after that, he's gone. So she literally sends him away, and I'm like, man, this would be weird if this is the last time we see him in the movie. Yeah, and so it, I was wondering. Yeah, and I was wondering, like, all right, what was the point of having him in the movie in the first place? I mean, just showing, like, a true artist versus people that want to say they know art. I mean, I like them at least, you know, showing up in another big uh, Netflix movie. I mean, the last movie I saw him in was Bird Box, and he had a lot to do in that movie, and it's just if he was having fun. Um, but yeah, I can't agree with you more, though. It, it it was just weird that they took this genius that's supposed to be an artist as a genius and didn't really give him anything to do except get back to being drinking and kind of be of an asshole sometimes. So um, it's kind of odd. Yeah, he, I don't know. Uh, I feel like he was. I feel like he was kind of the control element. Like of all the characters, every single person in that movie considered themselves an artist, but he was the only one that was just being a quote unquote true artist. He is like lauded and like surrounded by praise for his works, but is internally suffering deeply from the sorrow of disconnecting from alcohol which has resulted in him not being able to create anything new over a year and i think that for him at least it's another one of those examples of something to reflect on as we watch everybody else go about their business because you know he's he follows his art when they give him the idea of you need to go and rediscover yourself he just leaves he doesn't have to ask any questions about money he never gets involved in the situation with these he just follows his art and as a result it's completely safe from the situation at hand but I saw also, though, what do you think of the other artists that we sort of get introduced to and then he kind of escapes it, uh, played by David Deegs? Ramish, is it? Dermish? Dermish, uh, Dermish yeah. yeah. Dermish, yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's interesting. I think his character was just there to be a point of conflict uh, later on for Jake Gyllenhaal and the female lead whose name escapes me right now. Josephina. Josephina, yeah. Um... I feel, I don't know, because he wasn't really caught up in the whole D situation. He appreciated the art. He respected it. He saw something in it. And that also kind of drove him, drove him away. But I, don't, I really don't know in that situation. I think he was just kind of there just to fuel that conflict in Act 2. Or... Yeah, I agree with Mocha. I also think uh, that John Malkovich was like criminally underused. Uh, the dude can play that like crazy L.A. stereotype so unbelievably well and it would have been kind of nice to see a more unhinged version of that yeah i was wondering because between this and bird box he was almost the exact same character except one of them was drinking and one of them wasn't but his delivery of the lines his his presence on screen was almost exactly the same and i don't know i feel like i had this as a as a thought to talk about later on but you know either netflix as they continue to draw more big names for their movies needs to work really hard about toward giving really good roles to these big name movie uh like like big name movie stars or the other way around maybe these movie stars are seeing netflix as just a way to make a quick buck and remain super relevant i don't know but my my interpretation of of malkovich was he was solid in both movies but he wasn't anything but himself speaking calmly in both yeah it was it was kind of like there wasn't the silence of the lambs you know, it wasn't like a 15-minute stretch where he was utterly brilliant and that's all you remember. He's kind of an afterthought on most mm-hmm. of the film. Like, if anything, you just remember him from that last scene and 
and he doesn't have any lines. He just, it's basically just like this weird dancing, you know, shot on the beach, which is the super Malkovich, but you know, not super rememberable, memorable. That's the actual word. There's not much more I wanted to talk about the characters. I'll open it up to y'all. I did find like the rest of the characters. No, none of them were really interesting, and they're all just uh, very superficial and um, just uh, empty and despicable. And so I, I just found it not really enjoyable to watch these characters interact. <laughs> That's pretty interesting because I actually had a lot of fun with these characters. Um, partly because they're despicable, and aside from Warren, I try to surround myself by people who are the opposite of that. Um, but, you know, these characters, I thought they were all really just, like, fun to watch and interesting. Um, their dialogue was, it wasn't super inspired, but it was always pretty snappy and felt very natural and flowy. I think a lot of the camera work went, uh, helped with making me love the, char- the character's dialogue more, because there were so many scenes where the camera would swing really smoothly between person, like between person to person, in a having like a really quick back and forth repartee of words, and then one would walk away and start speaking towards someone in the distance, and the camera would just kind of swing and follow them, and then you'd be in a new scene. There were there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of scene layouts that felt like this was a stage play, and I actually really dug that about it. Something about it added to the the theme of art and performance, and it also kind of layered on with the fact that every single one of these people uh, in the movie were being false versions of themselves every time you see them talk to somebody else. Uh, so I actually yeah, like, I, I really enjoyed these characters. I agree with what? you, Mocha. It was weird. It's like the, they didn't try and fake a one shot scene, you know, like mm-hmm. they had with a uh, Birdman from a couple of years ago and it, all these other, you know, one shots, but like they almost laid it out like it was supposed to be that you could tell what the cut was and they didn't try and hide the cut. But it also had that elegant flow, especially the art gallery scenes where all the characters were interacting with each other and bouncing from person to person. It was a very unique way of getting an exposition dump because you learned what you needed to learn, but not in a forced way where it was cutting back and forth between different characters. Yeah, I fully agree. I, there was something really special about the camera work in this movie for me. And it wasn't even like groundbreaking. It just worked really well and reinforced, like I mentioned before, that feeling that it was almost a stage production. Um, aside from the characters as a whole, I was—I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was fantastic in this movie. I'm a, in general, I'm a Jake Gyllenhaal fan. I think he's a pretty good—he's a pretty good actor who's gotten better at his craft uh, like over the years. But his character um, was named Grand Moff Tarkin. What's his name in this movie? <laughs> Morph Vander. <laughs> snatch or something yeah more <laughs> bandersnatch so he, go with that like his yeah. his character was super charming and just really fun and it didn't feel like it didn't feel super forced he seemed really really natural and in his element and yeah i don't know i just really liked what he brought to the uh to the role hmm. i just wasn't entirely sure from exactly what his role um it just didn't make too much sense to me. Like I liked at least what he was trying to do in his role, but some of the scenes just felt like it was just so like unbalanced, and he just felt like he was kind of overacting. And it kind of turned. I think uh, one of you guys at least was kind of t- talk about some of the horror tropes, but some of his roles was in lines were just so like dramatic and like over the top. I just couldn't 
I wasn't sure why he was saying it in this movie. It was, should have been a little bit more muted, a little bit more realistic oh, to enjoy no. it. I love that. That's exactly <laughs> you, how those people talk. Like I was going to say, have you ever met a bisexual art critic from L.A.? Yeah. No, no. Seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess I didn't mean that as those people. What do, those people? <laughs> what do you mean those people? What do you mean those people? Jesus. Um, but no, seriously, like I, I was going to comment on this earlier. The emptiness of the characters was perfect for me. Um Here's a bunch of vapid, self-absorbed narcissists that are living in their own little bubble. Of course, they're not real human beings. Like, of course, everything they say, you immediately disconnect from because that's what the characters are supposed to be. It's all performance all the time for all of them. Right. And, yeah. and it, it comes through where I wouldn't call it lazy script writing or lazy acting, where it's it's actually impressive that they are so fake and dis like unbelievable. But also, if you spend any time in any sort of one of these big cities in any sort of art collective, these people are rampant and they exactly yeah. they float to the top like they do in this movie where like you the 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 more self-absorbed narcissistic you are, the more people listen to you. Or the more you yeah. can actually just tune other people out. It's a it's an art form in and of itself. It's a two way street on that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was the whole thing that just didn't really connect with me was just how empty the characters were. That it felt like the characters were created by someone who didn't understand the art world at all. And I don't think it's about like I mean, yeah, you can definitely mock and. Um, and like do a parody of that art world. But I think there's even movies that even do that better than this, where it felt like it was someone like whoever wrote this didn't do their, uh, what was Dan Gilroy that wrote this? Um, didn't really do his work on w- why this would be funny. And so it never really feels like it hits. Was it supposed to be me. funny though? I thought it was just supposed to be sad. No, it's, a, I mean, it's technically a satire. Uh, You're supposed it's to a laugh. Satire. You're supposed yeah. to, I mean, no, no. So, all right, it was definitely goofy. Yeah. I mean, uh, there is a goofy part to it. It's just a goofiness. Just well, you're, I mean, it again, felt it, like goes, it wasn't earned. Bryland, you're not supposed to connect with the characters because the character, they're like, it's always sunny characters. We're like, yeah, you know, a lot shitty. of those. Yeah, you, you know, a lot of those idiots, like kind of in your own life. And then that's just cranked up to a thousand. First of all, I go back to but my country, previous statement. Country Mac is cool, and yeah, Country Mac's Morf always Bender cool. Obviously, Schlitz is not. Yeah, but you got to compare. <laughs> Mort's more like a Dennis character. Oh my god, I can't believe we're doing it's all sunny breakdowns right now. No, but like, um, I think that they're supposed to feel very disconnected from the common audience because you're not, you're not that. Uh, on the flip side, I've met people that are kind of like that, you know, that live in those those types of communities, and mm-hmm. that's how that crap goes. Um, I don't get it. I'm with you on that, but like, it's yeah, it I is. Say, it I is don't real. have a massive. I don't have a massive amount of friends who are uh, deeply connected in the art world, but I can say anecdotally that someone who I spent a lot of time with who is in the art world is exactly as just obnoxious and self-absorbed and vapid but almost like but not actually dumb just being vapid for the sake of seeming like lofty and airy uh i don't know i'm sure there are decent artists out there uh, <laughs> we're not on a down front podcast tonight to just like shit over anybody who has an art degree yeah but i do think that like the feeling that you feel brylin and 
seems a little bit from you too, Warren, was intentional from from the standpoint of like the oh, writing yeah. and directing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. Or at least, yeah. yeah. And I would say that's just only one part where it fails. I mean, I would also say another character that <clears throat> I think we should bring up and discuss is Deese. Uh, even though he's dead, uh, he is a big influence throughout this whole movie. And if this was supposed to be some type of parody that rolls into a horror movie, um, that they very similar to like the nun, they don't establish any rules for Mm -hmm. how this, how the horror works or anything. And so it basically becomes like, Oh, if it's Deese's spirit that is getting revenge on people that selfishly exploit art or are just bad artists. We don't know exactly uh, why or what is happening. Uh, We just know people die. Uh, after they see a Deese painting or own a Deese painting or have touched a Deese painting because it comes to a point at the very end, there's not even a Deese painting around and he still has some influence over uh, Rene Russo's tattoo. And you're like, okay, how the fuck did he do that? Um, there, it makes for some uh, cool uh, set pieces and some cool kills, but it, it really doesn't kind of connect the two from what I see, the two, stories they have going on in this mm. movie. I definitely felt like a um I, I was getting some weird, really bad saw movie tropes and some of these kind of kills and it's just got to the point where it just like kind of got ridiculous. Cause you now at that point you knew exactly what was gonna happen. It's just okay, how are you gonna die? We already know you're gonna die by being introduced into this movie. Yeah. This is something final that- destination for me. Where it's mm. like death it- finds you. Yeah, good. That's Sorry, what, that's Mocha. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. That was literally what I was going to say. Um, you know, like, there was a part in this movie where when the first death happened, which was the art installer who was like really into describing to everybody that he was more than just an art installer, but also yeah. super weird and creepy. And no, it's never really explained why he's but so they, creepy. But, but they recovered his AirPods. <laughs> <laughs> they did important stuff. But he was the first one to die, and I was like, all right, cool. We're going to get to see some death. How's this going to happen? And then, yeah. like... And his death kind of made sense. And the painting because... inside the garage came to life and pulled him into yeah. the painting. And then I, I literally said out loud, I'm like, are they just going to Final Destination, everybody? And sure enough, that's exactly what it is. It was just, you know, like Blue had said, or maybe Brian said, it didn't establish any rules, and it didn't follow any of the rules that could vaguely be established. Um, oh, I kind of like the monkey that. killing because... That was a Deese painting that actually killed him. No, it wasn't. It's just the painting in the garage. Are, really? Yeah, like it wasn't one of the yeah, paintings from the back of the, uh-uh. the yeah. truck. No, because it, it was already hanging, yeah. Yeah, that was, oh, no, okay. that was just a generic. Never mind. You know, you know, <laughs> I don't know how all these podunk <laughs> gas stations have pa- fine, like, old school paintings of monkeys. And- uh, of course. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so I think, I think one theme uh, that I'm just kind of thinking about right now, so I'll spitball it at you guys, um, is that it's basically a path back to being a legitimate artist where they could become so self-absorbed mm-hmm. in making money where they're quite literally just being pulled back into art. Um, the monkeys grab them, put them in a painting. Uh, later, uh, Josephina gets basic. I, I don't know how to describe that. That was really cool. By the Turned way, into street art. Yeah. She I mean, gets that was in- a really cool, elaborate way to die. Yeah. Uh, and then what's it called? Uh, he was hanging inside that art installation, kind of completing that attic. Um, 
it, it was kind of like a, I mean, it was heavy handed now that I think about it, but it was, is there, that's how he re- brought it back to Deese, where he's bringing yourself yeah. back to legitimate art. Yeah, oh, but then you have, like, I agree with all of those, including the Sphere, the Sphere one, they, the whole point of the aftermath of that was everyone thought she was part of the art exhibit. But then you have Morpheus, who's like the main character of the movie, and he just gets his neck snapped. Like, Morpheus? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that threw me off. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he just gets gets cornered in a hallway and he gets his neck snapped. And there's like, no, there's nothing there to connect, connect it to it. Well, it could be because he, that, you know, the hobo itself, that was like one of the first art pieces that he said he loved, but then he uh, didn't kind of understand it, and it destroyed that other guy's sort of whole museum. I, I thought that's what it was supposed to be for. Yeah, there, there I, thought he, I thought he despised it. Yeah, he didn't like it. Yeah, it he didn't like him. it. And what Blue oh. was getting at was that everyone's death made them a part of art, um, which I think is is a running theme for almost all of it. But again, this is an example of the movie just not following through well, through with the few rules that there, just set up. There was a bunch of, so you're right. Uh, Deese was definitely the weakest like character part where there was like, no, he kind of just did whatever. I, I would argue that it's not a huge part of the movie. Like I think the primary part of the movie is like these people's antics through the whole thing, but that's another mm-hmm. story. Um, I think that there was a lot of characters that we didn't meet that we probably should have met in this film, though. Like uh, the ex-boyfriend who they they were talking about a couple times. Like, yeah, that was, it was weird. It kind of got confusing when Did they you were. You see Ed t- once? No, no, not Ed. No, he's talking about Josephina's yeah. boy, uh, ex-boyfriend. So there was like a couple people that like they would talk about and reference several times, but then like you kind of didn't know if they were talking about one person we haven't met or another person we haven't met. I definitely was a little bit confused on that. Also, uh, Netflix, I kind of feel bad, uh, but your movies definitely get less of an attention span from me than a, a, a theater. Because sitting next to someone who paid money for a ticket, you can't be pulling your phone out. Whereas definitely, I was engaged in this film, but I did felt bad. I was just like, scroll. <laughs> um, Got to give them a shout out, though, for their new uh, cinematic logo in the beginning. Yeah, that yeah. was cool. That was so cool. Netflix end that zooms into like the multicolored things. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't even see that. Yeah. Sorry, I spoiled it for you. <laughs> They're not. Yeah, can we uh, tell? the other thing that was uh, the other thing that I thought that was weird though, going off of that blue, it was the ex boyfriend got drunk, got into a car, got into an accident, and then he was in a coma, and they just said that as if it was a line that like super blahs and that was it. And I'm like, what? So not only did you bring this person up that we suppose that we should have met, you now put him in a coma just by the writing of the movie was weird. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, saying stuff blase, they, that was their tone of voice through the entire movie, you know, like that was consistent there. Um, I will say this. It was a little confusing where they were talking about the boyfriend they showed the sketch ball in the next scene, and then he crashed his car. I was like, wait, is he the boyfriend, and we're just kind of watching this? And re- is, is this mm-hmm. how they're going to do Is there, like, multiple, not time jumps, but, like, you get the backstory after things have been said? Well, that was one interesting thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. It was the fact that I appreciated that they were so, uh, what's what I'm looking for, like, so liberal with their uh, usage of time in this movie. But it was at a lot of times it was really, really difficult to track how much time has passed between each scene. 
because yeah. I feel like this movie took place over like maybe two months. Like it was like a long, like it was a yeah. good amount of time with lots of different <laughs> things happening. And they not only do they never um, like actually tell you or give you any sort of indicators of that time jumping aside from the dialogue, but there were certain moments where they even just gave like use really cool camera tricks to highlight it. Like for instance, there was one scene that I remember so clearly, except I can't give you the exact details behind it, but one person was leaving in a car or turning into a car into onto a road to go to someone's house and when the camera changed it was a match on action to another car turning into a driveway but it was a different character to meet with a different person some days later and it was just so smooth that like i love ma- like matches where there's a match on action or a match on sound i was like really impressed by it but at the same time it was unnecessarily confusing to have to then think okay they already said that she was going to meet with this person in a few days so there must have been a time jump in that fraction of a second where they like Mr. Wizarded out the two cars. <laughs> yeah. Or they start this movie in Miami and then they, they jump to Los Angeles, but they never tell you that they jumped to Los Angeles and everything pretty much looks the same. So you don't really figure it out until someone mentions it like halfway through yeah. the movie. And there's an argument to be made there that this is supposed to be another highlighting feature of the fact that these characters are so self-absorbed that they would never even spend time in a place that wasn't, perfectly suited for them so even for them it doesn't matter whether it's miami or la because it's all just their same like stupid little art world and the other um, thing is th- oh good uh-huh. i was gonna no, no, say was- there's a common criticism uh from people that uh especially florida but i imagine it's somewhat in uh, california too that because there's no seasons there it it doesn't feel like time passes mm-hmm. like you literally just like if every day is 70 degrees and sunny or hurricaning, uh, or earthquaking, I guess, um, to give access to both coasts. It just feels like you just, there's no progression. You just, you sit in this like one place and the world just kind of revolves around you. So I've definitely heard that for LA because allegedly LA is 70 degrees every day of the year. Uh, definitely not the case for Florida. Uh, I'm sure Warren can attest to this. We both live there and there are definitely changes in temperature while you're there and you know this because all the native floridians will put on their beanies and their mittens when it's 55 degrees out so I, it's funny I've, I've heard least. that only from florida people uh not, not from the la people really yeah That's bizarre yeah dude couple- i've never met an la person that didn't go out of the way to tell me that it was 70 degrees there all year round oh yeah no 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 but like the, but like the feeling of like you do just feel like nothing ch- like changes Oh, I see. Like, there's no progression or growth because you just, you wake up, do the same thing. Like, at least in New England, where it's just hell for, you know, 12 12 months, except for like three (laughs) days in like (laughs) early October, (laughs) and then like three (laughs) days in April, (laughs) where it's like, ah, this is perfect. And then it just (laughs) all goes to hell. Um, But, uh, but yeah, uh, like it, it, honestly, there's their location choices kind of fit that mold of just time sits still. Okay, I dig it. Anything else anybody wants to add before we talk about the plot? And I'm really, really interested to talk about the story with you guys. Yeah, uh, a couple things. Um, well, two really. Uh, I thought that the makeup on Gyllenhaal's eyes was incredible. As he's slowly mm. going crazy, like you see, like the the like red and blacks kind of appear on it, um, and uh, also on Gyllenhaal, um, I think I haven't said this yet, but we could see the the Marvel training uh, taking to place. 
There's no reason <laughs> oh, yeah. for him to be that That's shredded, nice. but he's going to have to do one shirtless scene as Mysterio, and that's yeah, he's got to he's got to have that sort of uh, body. Um, the other thing is that Tony Collette is a national treasure. Uh, I think we we you know I I learned this Australian inherit- national treasure. Uh, no, but it's at the world, you know. Or world. We haven't built the wall yet. The world is a nation. <laughs> hey, uh, Blue, that's two wall jokes you've made tonight. <laughs> so I'm just letting you know. I know. All right. Gotta hate that guy. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, Tony Collette, National Treasure, though, uh, learned about that in, in uh, Heritage, and she really expanded on it. Like her delivery is just so, so on point. It's it's so snide, like. Everything is just dripped in sarcasm, except serious somehow. Yeah, I think she's probably the one character that kind of understood what movie she was in. Yes, yeah, well, that's because she's that. been in this type of movie a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, she was actually in Krampus. I didn't realize why she was in that movie. Kind of fun fact. Out. Fun fact about Tony Collette: Twenty years ago, nineteen eighty-eight, nineteen ninety-eight, excuse me, she was in a movie called Velvet Goldmine. Hmm. Another sex toy. <laughs> nice. so so also, is, is, entirely is separately, a... she was also in Triple X: The Return of Xander Cage. Oh, <laughs> why? <laughs> what are you doing? Because she needed money. Why else would right. you do that? Yeah, I was like, I, I mean, I guess, but those movies are just so terrible. Uh, they probably thought it was going to be the next Fast and Furious. They're like, oh, oh I was talking about. I was talking about Krampus. You talking about uh, what? Which triple uh, X? Triple X. I know. Well, how, they had like, did Vin Diesel come back, or was that was the one when he came back? There's only been two. Well, it's called the Return of Xander Cage, so I assume that was, was three of them came back. Did they make a sequel back in the day? This is uh, irrelevant. I mean, let's keep on going. With ice okay, cube. sorry. <laughs> State of the so, Union. Let's. <laughs> oh jeez, yeah, there was. Oh my god, there was three, right? Okay. Yep. So let's talk about the plot and story of Velvet Buzzsaw. Bradley, what you got for me? Uh, yeah, so as I mentioned before, this movie kind of has like two storylines uh, going. Uh, and it's it's tough to watch just because they the movie never really decides what type of story it wants to tell on its own. It's just like a myriad connection of different pieces put together that really don't make sense. And so I found it constantly going back and forth was was this movie about an art critic that and about his relationships within the art world and having a parody on that art world uh and what those relationships lead to and what the consequences are or is this about an up-and-coming um gallery manager that's looking for her bid break and unleashes uh evil art onto the world um so each either one of those stories they really didn't do well with them, and I found that um, the the movie just kind of suffered because they didn't really just stick to one of those stories and explore it further. Um, I mean, you can have a parody of the like art uh, of the art world with the critics and the curators and everything, but give us like a little bit of inside baseball to it too. So, like, kind of like show us like what are the motivations of an art curator or gallery manager and besides just um wanting to make money i, I want to see like what does it mean to be in that role and also um have a parody of that role too 
uh, or also with the art critic. What what is the power that he he sways over them? We got some snarky one-liners from Jake Gyllenhaal, but nothing that really kind of ties into how he's actually influenced himself upon these other artists or gallery managers as well. So I just found that the uh, story was just really lacking focus, and it essentially becomes like a non-story uh, because of that lack of focus. Um, the dialogue was just really too basic to kind of give you some that kind of like twist of interest, like interesting um, like world I've never seen before to keep me uh, interested in it. So I just fell off really quickly in this movie when watching it that this was just like not really a good movie to watch. Mocha, what you got? So, for me, this movie is Netflix's Bad Time is at the El Royale. Uh, and if, for anyone who's listening who hasn't heard our review of Bad Times, I'll save you the trouble of going back and listening to it. But you should just download it just for the sake of giving us that metric. But um, my big issue with Bad Times was that you had an amazing cast, a great ensemble of characters, and they really just did nothing with it. There was a lot of potential in the story, the settings, the people that were there, but they just didn't cross the finish line. And I feel like this, I feel this really strongly with this movie. The, the characters were, were entertaining enough, even if they weren't amazing, they weren't entertaining enough. The actors and actresses involved were all really good. Um, and the actual concept, the initial concept of this story, I think was, was perfect. The idea of a, as Brian mentioned, a, an up-and-coming uh, person within the art curation world taking advantage of the death of an old man in order to sell his paintings and move herself up the ladder. I think that's an amazing start for the story. If it were up to me, I would have completely removed the supernatural element for, from this movie. Mm-hmm. Instead, have it be almost exactly the same movie, Make, have it be the, but have it be about the fact that, almost like a telltale heart, where this art is driving all of these different people to such a lengths at, of like lying, depravity, cheating in order to profit off of it and have like have these deaths or these murders be actual like crimes of passion to advance each other's like to, for each other's events in, in the art world. And let that be almost like a thing in the background where it's these people are break, having these breakdowns because they're so obsessed with this chase for money and fame, you know, like almost as if it's supernatural, but completely remove that supernatural element from it and just have it be about how easily it is to corrupt yourself in the search and when you're obsessed with greed. I think that the, the exact same like movie otherwise would have been great without the supernatural elements. The supernatural element just added a bit of shtick to it that didn't really resonate with anything else that was going on in the movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, this should have been like more like best in show, but for art critics. <laughs> Honestly, is there a lot of murder in best in show? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think there's no murder in best in show. Um, <laughs> I, it could have, Mocha, it could have been suicide too, where they, mm. re- you could draw the characters up where, um, I mean, I think they made reference to uh, Rene Russo playing in a punk band and being a very good alternative artist. Um, at that mm-hmm. point, she's just really good at selling art, and that made her a lot more money than playing in a punk band does. Um, and so you could see that, like, a, you know, the tortured artist who only made art for themselves because that was the integrity of it. And then having that conflict of like, well, what am I doing with my life? If if this was what I was put on earth to do, but I deviated away and I'm just, you know, being superficial. 
and you know they end up you could almost keep the deaths the same right like she sticks her arm you know in there and gets it cut off i mean you could make it an allegory for you know cutting your wrist or something hanging uh what was the other ones um neck Snap. breaking neck breaking, Almost yeah. snapping neck your neck. breaking. That, that's well that's just I like mean, another day in la from what i've heard <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i agree with you but like you could keep most of the deaths similar even change them up a bit um but i think that if the driving force in this movie was centralized around this art and how almost like i mentioned before in a telltale heart sense how everyone is being driven mad because of their own uh like like unquenchable thirst for fame and success and the lies upon lies layering driving everybody into their own little personal hell i thought that would have been a beautiful version of this movie um you know without like all the corny like one lines about oh he'd kill for this painting or uh this is to die for and like the weird uh, death uh, scenes uh, like the monkeys pulling the guy into the painting and like all this other sh- all, all, all the other stuff that happened Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. You could honestly even keep the some of the supernatural stuff in there and just make it internalized as their mind. Um, like Haunting a yeah. Hill House did that, where there was a, a lot of for a lot of that show, you didn't know if it was supernatural or if it was just depression and drugs. You know, where mm-hmm. she had like the rope and it was given to her by the mom, but then it, the camera turns around and she's just tying it up herself. You know, it's like you could have uh, mm-hmm. you could have done something like that, but with yeah you you have to edit like five minutes out of this film i agree the the audience should have been left wondering the entire time if there was something supernatural going on or if this was just everybody's minds being pushed to the limit and it should have ultimately been about their minds being pushed to the limit but like the audience should have had that mystery playing it would have made it way more suspenseful i think yeah i love when we just rewrite movies and our reviews it's it's quite (laughs) it's quite beautiful it is i mean one thing about netflix (laughs) <laughs> yeah. one thing i did appreciate about this movie though is uh the set design and like the locations of it uh i found like uh art galleries are really cool are actually a really cool place to put a murder just because deaths look cool in an art gallery because of how stark you got that art galleries have to be in there because their focus is uh showing the center point of this square frame that's on the wall and they do want this nice clean ex- interior for everything and so i did like things like i like the whole art idea behind the sphere kind of like interactive and that what you feel is kind of like whatever you want it to be i thought that was a neat idea and wondering how they would actually create something like that and the murder along with it seeing tony tony collette's arm get chopped off randomly uh pretty cool and just seeing all the blood around it and just having that little bit about that um that the people that came into the gallery when it first opened thought it was part of the art exhibit i thought that was a neat little uh anecdote that they put in there because you could definitely see that happen especially of how absorbed people are in art um but i did like uh like the murder scenes for the most part were actually very creative like when josephina dies it's uh not your traditional death that we've seen it's more of like paint overtakes her and she becomes part of paint so it was a very um weird existential way of dying uh but even like the monkeys like kind of dragging uh the guy the shithead into the painting uh, that's what i assume they did was they drug him into the painting and that's how he died because he went missing. No one heard from him anymore after that. Um, but one other thing, uh, when it comes to design aspect that, uh, I think should never be done 
by anybody on the planet is uh, no one should wear a short sleeve button down with a suit. That is totally <laughs> illegal to do. You're not avant-garde enough, apparently. I guess not. <laughs> Brown, I want to double back really quick to one thing you were talking about when you referenced uh, Tony Collette's death in the sphere. That was, so I mentioned before how there were a couple of moments in this movie that just seemed like super inspired and super brilliant. And the aftermath of that, of that death scene was one of them because you have this juxtaposition between Josephina, who is on the phone explaining the situation to, uh, Radarda, Rodon, Radon, Raytheon. Um, anyway, Redora, so, Redora. There you go. It's like Fedora, but not. Anyway, so she's describing this on, on the phone to her, and she's clearly shaken and broken, and describing like the depravity and the horror of this of her friend being dead on the ground, but everyone around them thinking that it was part of the art installation. And it starts. It's her in her room, and her room is dark, and it's a direct straight on shot. And then it switches to the art gallery, and it's a much more dynamic shot from like a three quarter angle near the ceiling, and everything's white and bright. And you have this almost obscene comedy of little kids coming in and playing in the blood. <laughs> and then it cuts back and she's shaken and she's like trembling with her voice describing how horrible this is. And then it cuts back and you see that the kids have walked around everywhere with the blood. So there's little footprints everywhere and, you know, people are walking around seeing it. And it was just this kind of like really remarkable playback between uh, like absolute sadness and despair and ridiculous, absurd comedy that was on both sides still horror. And I don't know. I just thought it was a really, really, really cool scene. I agree with you <laughs> for the reasons you stated. <laughs> I, I think that's probably one of the only scenes that I did enjoy though, Mocha. Yeah. Um, especially because I feel like that sphere uh, at first, cause I, I, I thought this movie was kind of out there. Cause I thought that was just like a, this thing that people would just stick in their arms in. There wasn't like an arm socket for it. So I'm like, Oh, this is just fantasy. Okay. But it looks like they changed it up. Um, so I feel like that's like a piece of art that's probably somewhere. And that's probably kind of derived or kind of like inspired by that. Um, but I did enjoy, like, what did I say? You've got the bean in Chicago. Yeah. But nobody puts sticks. <laughs> it it trivelled up there because it's a uh, negative 20 outside. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, yeah, so I definitely enjoyed that scene, especially from everything you just said about it. Uh, I just wish that there was more moments like that in the movie and less of what we got. Yeah, I agree. Like overall, like I mentioned, it's, it's just like, uh, like my feelings towards <laughs> bad times. There was just so much potential in what they were doing and how they were doing it. And they just, they just didn't reach all the way for what they had. I, at least with this movie, they didn't have like uh you know crazy jesus character show up midway through that without warning and kind of control everyone to me at least that was better than bad times they they somewhat held true to the like the circumstance they set up ahead of time i mean bad times kills kills off one of the best characters john ham for arguably no reason so yeah let's just... not get into that movie cuz oh, i feel like so... that's going <laughs> to that's gonna Sorry. force awakens this this uh, <laughs> podcast real quick. <laughs> uh, go ahead, blow it. 
Yeah, I got two major things. Uh, I'll start with the, the early one first, or the quick one first. Um, music. I uh, caught this in the last two, and I actually would love to go back and rewatch some of these scenes where um, they had the... When he was in the isolation chamber, the anechoic chamber, um, and then he had the voices, it really was a whale song exhibit. And they used the whale sound in the rest of the score, including the scene when he got murdered. Uh, the other scene that they used it for that I, I was picking up on was right before uh, Rene Russo's, was it Rodera? Is that what we, we decided on? Rodora. Yeah. Rodora. Rodora. Right, we're, we're renaming the character. Uh, rhododendron before she was killed uh, there was um, there was like the whale sounds and then before the last character to eat it um, in the background of uh, uh, rhododecahedron's uh, thing was a um, was like the the is it koto or a sitar I actually I don't know which one it was it was some sort of East Asian uh, like instrument Erhu. Uh, no, I know what the air who is and that wasn't it. Um, what was it the tree do? <clears throat> no, I know what that one is too, but it was, it was something, it was something from that, that area of the world. And, uh, you could hear some of the notes playing. In fact, she goes and like puts her hand on it and, um, you could hear that right before, I believe the, um, uh, Josephina bought the farm. Um, and then they did this really cool thing at the very end when they were selling the paintings. And this is why I want to go back and rewatch it is because I think they seem to set up not necessarily a melody for each character's death, but a kind of tonal environment. And at the very end, when the guy was selling the paintings, the, the composer, uh, basically spun a piece that had like, a like a bass frequency of whale sounds with like the stringed instrument playing the the harmony over the top of it. And I would love to go back and see what was playing with the other the other people when they died and see if that end piece was just a culmination of pretty much all of them in there. That's the short one. The long thing <laughs> The long thing is this movie was essentially asking the question, what is art and how do people interact with it? You know, um I think we were talking about this before that there's a bunch of like people that we know that are super in the scene that are super relatable. But this is where I would say it relates to all of us is that all of us interact with different forms of art every single day. Um, We, some of us have no idea what we're listening to and don't understand if it is art or it isn't art. Some of us, uh, like he was saying, he trashed, uh, uh, you know, an installation just because someone told him to do that. And the amount of times I've been like, Oh yeah, I hate this band just because it's like, I'm supposed to hate them. I mean, I'm still never going to listen to a Nickelback song, but they might have like a song I might enjoy if I actually sat down and like, you know, was feeling terrible about myself. But the the point is that sometimes the the situation around us that can corrode how we feel about certain pieces of artwork. Um, I'm sorry, this could be music heavy because that's my thing. Uh, But it goes through and we could draw that combination where like it ultimately is asking you to analyze what you're seeing, what you're listening to, what you're experiencing and have you interact with it in a normal way. These characters were drawn to the extreme of like their and you could say like, oh, this person's kind of an asshole because they didn't accept good art. But we as individuals do that every single day. And I think it's calling on us to recognize what we're doing and kind of maybe either either recognize it and let it sit or, or work to kind of understand it and to really enjoy things that are enjoyable to you. Um, it also says that different people have different strokes for one person. You might not understand it at all. Uh, but in the other person, you know, that, that might really speak to them and to not really judge, 
uh, necessarily based on that. You're right. Sorry, that was the connecting point. That's we cool. all do have different strokes. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I got from that. Look, yeah, I gotta I be honest. Don't check my Snapchat account. <laughs> there was uh, one other thing I wanted to add about the plot that kind of infuriated me. That um, that uh, Morph Dinger Dugger, um, his whole journey with uh, writing this book about Dees, um, we you think it's going to be like this way of unveiling this mystery of who Dees is and we'll kind of give you a reason why these things are happening. But we don't get that from uh, Morph's like story at all. We actually get randomly a private investigator that pops up and talks to <laughs> Rodan versus Godzilla and just lays it all out of who Dees was. And then she says, oh shit, because of financial reasons. Uh, yeah, this guy's a psychopath. So if once this gets out to the public, his art's going to depreciate. So we got to sell this stuff off as soon as we can. Uh, whereas um, everybody else just seems very like nonchalant and disconnected because we find out that Dees is a like we get this big exposition dump that Dees is uh, had a bad childhood and grew up in a psycho psychiatric ward and all this other crazy stuff. Um, but it never really feels like it gives you an understanding or a reason behind the supernatural parts of the murders happening. Uh, but also it doesn't really inform on the character of Deese that much either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's why I feel like, you know, this movie could have removed the supernatural element and literally have Deese just been the dead guy to start off this cavalcade of bad decisions by everyone involved. Because even as they, and they like revealed more about him, like you said, Brian, it didn't give us anything. All it did was give a, like a justification for why so much spooky stuff was happening. Like, oh, okay, of course the paintings are haunted because he was abused as a child and became a murderer and painted with his own blood. But, like, outside of justifying the supernatural element, nothing to move the story forward came out of anything about these. Yeah. Um. Uh, so then, Brylin, if we got to move into our kind of final thoughts here, would you recommend this movie? If you do, what other movie would you think to tell people to watch before getting ready for this Velvet Buzzsaw? Um, I would not recommend watching this movie. I kind of got the same disappointed feeling like Mocha has, where this is kind of like a Bad Times at El Royale, where you got a lot of talent that just utterly goes wasted on a very weak and empty story. Um, it's also kind of disappointing to see from um, Dan Gilroy, the creator of uh, the writer and director of Nightcrawler, which was actually a fantastic movie, uh, which actually talked about um the integrity of being a journalist versus uh kind of forcing a story to create an impact so nightcrawler is amazing so i'd definitely watch that if you want to see a good uh dan gilroy film uh but when it comes to like um just art critique and just like understanding a bit more i mean you could you could watch Beverly Hills Cop and get a better <laughs> idea of like what art art uh, galleries are all about. Or even watch uh, the one episode of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season two, where they actually run into an artist. Oh, that's a good one. That's a uh, that's probably going to be one hour where you'll get you'll get a better understanding of how the art world works more than what this movie brings. 
Mogo, what you got? You know, there was just so much, so much solid potential in this, in this movie, in the concept, all of it. And it, so much of it was wasted on just cheeky puns and gory death scenes. It didn't follow any sort of internally decided rule set. It felt like a lot of this movie was just there to make sure that it slid into the horror category. And I feel like that wasn't necessary. Um, I don't know anything about the source material, but I just feel like uh, there was a lot of wasted potential in this movie. That being said, I did enjoy the characters. I did enjoy the acting. I did enjoy the first half of this movie immensely. But honestly, I feel like if Netflix is going to continue to draw so much star power for their movies, they need to start taking a really serious look at the projects they're working on and what sort of roles, dialogues, and experience they're offering these major actors. Um, Because you got to do more when you have people like Jake Gyllenhaal and... uh, Crap, I almost called him Gilbert Grape. What's his name? <laughs> John Malkovich. There John. we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you got to give these guys more. There's, like, they can do more. Yeah. Shredder, what you got? Would you recommend? Yeah, I'd recommend it. Uh, you know, the, the horror theme was probably a little zany, but it was fine. I actually loved Jalen Hall's performance in this. Like, his mannerisms were just spot on for me I, I it was a weird character and i fully embraced it um i would say this though like we talked about it before but these like bigger than life characters that are based in total and utter reality go go watch spinal tap it's still the best movie in that sort of genre where you see all these idiots bumbling around and you're like that can't be true until you're one of those indie idiots bumbling around getting lost going to stage or something um yeah, but I'd recommend seeing this movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess I also would recommend them see this movie because the last couple of reviews that we've done, this movie is better than Serenity and Replicas. So definitely got to give it up to that, especially being a bit of a dark ages in uh, the theaters right now up until I think maybe next week, this weekend or next weekend. And so why not? You know, it's under two hours. Definitely go check it out. I think they had a lot of stuff that was good about this movie that was interesting, definitely entertaining. Um, and with that, we have been a Down in Front podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and hanging out with us tonight for our review of Velvet Buzzsaw. Brylin, where can people find more of your work on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me wearing long sleeve button downs with my suits on Twitter at Brylund, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. You can also find me posting many movie and TV reviews at I am Brylund on the Instagram. Mm, and Mocha Mike, where can we find more of your work on the interwebs? Well, you can find me on Twitter posting live streams of myself painting violent yet undeniably sexy works of art at Mocha Mike L-I. As the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me at Mocha Mike. The person who owns that is likely dead and also was probably left with no family or loved ones. And he won't give it back. <laughs> so until Jeez. then, I'm Mocha Mike L.I. However, you can still follow me on Instagram and Medium at Mocha Mike. Um, you can see some, some previously written articles about movies that we talk about here, as well as some dope photos uh, at those locations. Uh, the Shredder, where can we find more of your work and what you got coming up? Yeah, you can check us out uh, most major platforms at My News Music or My News Band. Um, forget which is which, but we're big enough. Uh, My News is big enough. Uh, we actually have a show coming up on Friday, which I have to, you know, 
probably start talking about more. Yeah, yeah I know. I probably should have mentioned in the last one because this one's going to come out after the stupid show takes place. But <laughs> whatever. Uh, you know, it's all good. Um, if you want, you can also find us. Uh, sometimes we do uh, live streams. We have to do this. We can't do it on Twitch because it's a little bit risque. But it's just Jesse Ran Reviews Art in the Nude uh, or Jesse's Nude Art Reviews. Uh, and it's Ooh. just uh, <laughs> clips of Jesse Rand uh, looking at art and then commenting on it, but it perfectly in the nude. Let's just say oh. that Jake Gyllenhaal has got nothing on Jesse Rand. Mm, <laughs> super true. Alternatively, you can reach him at Jesse, comma, Hobo Lord. At artmail.com. Artmail. Artmail is a new, it's a new one. You can, you uh, can also check. support Jesse's uh, Patreon where he builds a railroad. <laughs> in the nude. In the nude, yeah. <laughs> but he hasn't showered in a while. <laughs> yeah, he's just, just Hobo Death. Man Jesse Ran. Hobo Man Jesse Ran. Dot <laughs> oh, com. <laughs> Uh, please check out more of our work at downinfrontpodcast.com where you can check our video teasers, a bunch of artwork, and a lot of other stuff that we're working on and we want to talk about. Uh, if you like what we do, you actually want to kind of donate to us, patreon.com slash downinfrontpodcast, which would be much appreciated. Um, you can find us on Instagram, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook. Just search for downinfrontpodcast.com on uh and also we have on Reddit and Spotify, which is really awesome. So definitely go check if you want to stream. Also streaming definitely counts. So definitely check us out. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, well, Brylan, what is our next review? Our next review is the Lego movie Two, the second part. That's the name of the movie, the second part, or just Lego movie two? Lego movie two, colon. The second part. Hmm. I think that'd be cool. I really love Lego Movie 1 and Lego Batman, so should be exciting. Right? Yep. Good night. Yeah, the Lego Movie was awesome. I mean, uh, hey, do we all monetization about- of art is bullshit. Find the value talk- within yourself.